0: Welcome to CMS On Air, the podcast on migration and refugee issues, brought to you by the Center for Migration Studies of New York. I'm Emma Winters, CMS's Communications Manager. In just a moment, you'll hear a conversation between Michelle Pistone, Jack Hefner, and Dora Shriro. Michelle and Jack, non resident fellows for CMS, asked Dr. Shriro about her paper, Weeping in the Playtime of Others the Obama administration's failed reform of ICE family detention practices, which was published in CMS's Journal on Migration and Human Security in 2017. At the beginning of President Obama's first term, Dora Shriro served as senior advisor to U.S. Department of Homeland Security, DHS, Secretary Janet Napolitano, and then as U.S. Immigration and Custom Enforcements ice first director of the office of detention policy and planning in that capacity she authored a comprehensive report on the immigration detention system during the latter part of the obama administration's second term secretary j johnson selected triro as a subject matter expert in detention to serve as a member of the new DHS Advisory Committee on Family Residential Facility. Schrero has also headed two state prison systems, Arizona and Missouri, and two municipal prison systems, New York City and St. Louis. She also served as a commissioner on both the American Bar Association's Commission on Immigration and the Women's Refugee Commission. In this episode of CMS on Air, she shares her insights about the difference between criminal and civil detention, the history of immigrant detention, and her reflections on visiting Dilly and Carnes, two family detention centers in Texas. Shriro recommends a case management approach to the reception of families and suggests U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, as a first point of contact for the families. Here's the conversation.
1: I'd like to begin by reading the poem that introduces the article. Do you hear the children weeping, O my brothers, ere the sorrow comes with years? They are leaning their young heads against their mothers, and they cannot stop their tears. The young lambs are bleeding in the meadows. The young birds are chirping in the nest. The young fawns are playing with the shadows. The young flowers are blowing toward the west. But the young, young children, oh my brothers. They are weeping bitterly. They are weeping in the playtime of the others, in the country of the free. So that is the first uh, how the article is introduced. It's the weeping in the playtime of the others is in the, the title, and it also happens to be the last words of the article
2: oh gosh i'm gonna get emotional It, it speaks to the sadness that i still experience every time i think about each of my trips to the family residential facilities um you know for all the the happy talk if you will you know on the ice website about these being kinder gentler places there there is nothing gentle about being in custody um, at any age and certainly not for children. Sometimes I don't know which is more difficult, the unaccompanied minor with no comfort from a parent or the child who takes all their cues from the parent and sees them trembling. I mean, they're frightened all the time. One of the things that struck me most about these facilities is how not normalized they are. The, the parents never get to be parents because, because the, the detention officer is always the boss. And, uh, and, um, and so, you know, if kids are being kids, if they're crying, you know, having one of their days or just running around like, you know, silly little people that they are, less so in those circumstances. Um, The parents are always so worried about their children coming to the attention. Um, So nothing is normalized about that setting. And and I'm just gonna go on for a a little bit. I mean, one of the things that strikes me so much and having been a jailer as many years as I've been, having run three, uh, two state correctional systems and and two city jail systems, and having also been a warden, is um, you know you, you never get to make choices uh, uh, in a in a facility. And um, the difference between the my experience uh, with the criminal justice population versus those who are civilly detained is that ICE detainees by and large are, you know, fully functioning uh, individuals. Um, They are parts of intact families. Um, They had homes, they maybe, you know, operated farms or had other kinds of businesses. They were engaged uh, in in their house of worship. Uh, and, And so when you take people like that and you put them in a setting where everything is done to them and for them. You know, it's 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 such a devastating experience to have lost all your autonomy and then to lose your ability to parent, you know, as as you know, one of the ultimate forms of autonomy, you know, being responsible for your family, taking care of your family. Um, when I, when I hear the poem, all of that just you know comes to the forefront for me.
1: Well, it's unsettling, and I, and I think it's, it works as unsettling, because this is something people should be unsettled about. You know, no one should be comfortable knowing what the situation is. So it's very effective. Um, the article, um, after its introduction there, you start with sort of a general history of, of detention of families and minors and then zero in on the Obama years. And then finally you focus on your own experiences, what you did during these years, particularly your experience as the Special Advisor to the secretary, DHS Secretary and the, on the Advisory Committee on Family Residential Centers. And it's all great, very uh, worthy read, uh, but I'd like to focus on a few other points that you make that are really important for understanding the problem and for understanding what the solution might be. And first, you just alluded to the uh, fact that these, uh, that the people in the detention centers, the, DH, the ICE detention centers are, you know, just regular people going about their work. And could you focus, and you mentioned in, in the paper, about the the differences, the legal differences between the detention of immigrants and criminal detention?
2: It's not well understood quite frankly, even within government, uh, um, you know, with within uh, with ICE in, in particular. The case law says um, that those who are held in civil detention um, are not there for criminal purposes. I mean, it sounds kind of obvious and a little redundant when you say it that way, but you need to because um, And uh, as a matter of law, cannot and does not take anyone into its custody that has a criminal case pending or is still serving time. The only time that that they may take someone who might have had a, a criminal history is after the sentence, if there was one, has concluded. And so... There really is a very bright line, one that most people don't know, so they don't see it.
1: Another matter um, that's in your article that I think also isn't widely recognized, but is extremely important, and for someone who is in your position of leading large organizations really needs to understand, um, is the importance of culture in an organization. Now, ICE is an enforcement culture. Many years ago, Michelle and I wrote an article on expedited removal with the INS and and how that really mattered as to how the INS interpreted rules, applied rules, implemented systems. And you couldn't really ever come up with a solution to a problem unless you understood the culture going in. And um, this is something that is mentioned in the article several times, that uh, ICE is an enforcement culture. And I guess the question is, uh, can you speak to when you do understand what the culture is, how do you shape the solution to a problem? Like in in particular example of ICE, you know, what, what would you do to say, well, we have an enforcement culture here. The solution needs to be this.
2: You're right. Um, the uh, ICE is made up of enforcement agents and you know it's kind of like you know the you know the, the carpenter you know everything is a hammer and a nail and a surgeon you know everything is and so with you know with ice um, when when they're when they're talking about enforcement they're not even necessarily thinking about the continuum you know that you've got along the continuum two outcomes you either have relief or you have removal and you know that's a super oversimplification but they're really thinking about removal you know that's their preferred outcome um because they have some their of their own conclusions about you know who should be and and who should go and so the whole idea of detention is then kind of if you will a a no-brainer from their perspective because Mm -hmm. You want those people where you can find them at the ready so that at that point, should it ever come, that the judge says this person will be removed or that individual for a variety of reasons, which we can touch on, decide, I'm gonna withdraw my petition and I'm gonna ask for expedited removal. They they wanna, they wanna be able to get that person right then and, and move them along, and uh, and and I believe that's also why in those instances where they uh, where that individuals put on community supervision, they're always just loaded up to the max with um, different kinds of um, monitoring supervision strategies. Um, Again, to kind of you know, kind of become a um, you know a, a virtual uh, detention facility, if you will, through electronic monitoring and all sorts of other all sorts of other things. Um, I've been giving a lot of thought to this um, lately, um, and it's fun going back and reading the article to see how it was already you know percolating uh, um, it, you know just a couple of years ago you know i'm i'm starting to wonder if uh, the whole intake process is maybe uscis for example might be a a better resource within the organization for for doing that initial assessment you know my thought is man you know once you're in it's so hard to get out whatever we could do to front load for the um, um, the first for the first authority um, that you encounter. Um, So if it was perhaps USCIS um, and they had a different protocol, um, we might see more people released to the street immediately and perhaps with less of the accoutrements um, for which, um, for for which ice is known, um, I I'm also concerned um, about the risk assessment instrument. In my report, the 2009 report, I I'm I made pretty regular references to um, um, you know how these people are viewed, and again, it comes with that enforcement lens. And uh, and so we hear these characterizations all the time about um, detainees being the worst of the worst. And, uh, and, you know, and man, we've got so many of these worst of the worst. Look, you know, look, you know, we just need more detention space and more detention space. And then and then, you know, abracadabra, we have something as terrible as as the pandemic. And lots of people being released, and uh, and the world is not a more dangerous place, um, you know, for having all those people um, in in the community. The risk assessment instrument has really been um, messed with. Highly technical term. But regardless of the score that you get, there's only now one recommendation, and that is detain. Where I am now is, I think that. Um, that the whole um, detention, alternative detention, really needs to get um, pulled out uh, of ERO, and you know, and maybe it's some other freestanding thing within DHS, um, because you know what we see with the, with the children several years ago, and you know, and more recently the same things are broken in different places. And if you're gonna fix it, why not just fix it? So, you know, they have this this old premise from INS days and probably predates that, about up to 72 hours. Uh, 72 hours is too long to keep anybody on a bench without a shower with, you know, a couple bologna sandwiches um, every day. And so, you know, I think I think this, the whole, that whole thing really needs, it's its own discipline, and and it's the antithesis of the enforcement. Um, I really think it, it, I really think it needs to come out, and I'll do it.
1: Well, as long as the detention uh, responsibilities remain with ICE, I'm wondering, you do mention uh, in the article that everybody has a role, all, all the branches of government play a role here, and I'm wondering- when we have a a situation where a particular aspect of a, a job seems to be at odds with the larger bureaucratic culture, is that really um, a, a, a situation where the other branches of government should be particularly keen to become involved, and particularly I'm thinking in terms of Congress and oversight?
2: One of the things, the day one of my um, first course when I was doing my doctorate, I'll never forget it. My professor said, You know, that great big fancy thing in Latin or Greek that's carved over the door,
0: you know, that motto,
2: whatever. He said, Forget about it. You know, if you really want to know what an organization is about, look at the budget. And so, you know, so I say to the appropriation chairs, You know, everyone in Congress appropriations, I think, is much more than any other of the committees. Um, You know, that's that's how you achieve compliance. Um, Now, having said that, I still know it's not easy. Um, It was Congress has really provided a lot of leadership. It was years ago that they attached to the appropriation bill that if um, that if any detention facility didn't meet its minimum standards for two or more times that ice must punch their ticket cancel the contract, and that has, I don't know that has happened, but once or twice um, in all that time, you know the the push and the pull is within the organization. Then there was increased pressure by field office directors um, when when inspections were incurring to change the scores. (laughs) You know, that was that was the workaround. Um, So, you know, ever ever vigilant um, is, you know, is 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 the watchword to all the three branches. It's not just to watch, but to be uh, ever vigilant about it
3: so i wanted to uh talk a little bit to bring this up to date about with everything that's happening today at the southern border and the biden administration is experiencing a lot of decision moments to figure out how to address the uh recent increase in unaccompanied children coming to the southern
2: border well um it's it's an all hands on deck time that's for sure um, you know, um, I'm I'm going to divert for a moment, but it's to make this point. There's this this emphasis uh, on deterrence. And uh, it's something that the Obama administrations have come to. I talk about it in, in the paper, and um, and you know, and it's it's one of those things that we fall back on over and over again in progressive and conservative um, and other any other kind of adjective, you know, kind of administration uh, that, that we have. But but in cases like, well, I'm not sure that deterrence ever works and how would you know if it deterred, then how do you know that they were coming anyhow? That's another conversation. But with, the, um, with, the, with everything that's been happening in the Northern Triangle uh, and continues to happen, the people who are coming are coming because they really believe that they have no choice but to stay and die. Uh, if they don't do something different. And I don't know a mom or dad who wouldn't um, do the unthinkable, even send their child off without them if they thought that that was the only way that their child might have a chance of surviving. Uh, And then if they could meet up with family, they might actually thrive as well. So, um, you know, part, part of my advice is let us not you know, default, let us not fall back on deterrence. Um, it does not work and uh, it doesn't speak to our better self. And so that means that we need to, you know, continue to, to receive these children as they, um, as they approach
3: the border. Some of the students in my VISTA program are um, volunteering at the border right now, and among them are retirees and people seeking encore careers, and there are opportunities. So for our listeners, it's important to know that there are opportunities to help today. Like Vecina is an organization that that is really encouraging remote help. And so, from wherever you are, you can provide uh, remote assistance. Even administrative assistance is helpful, and interpretation things like that. Right? You know, right now
2: you've you've got these bigger than imaginable um, um, pop up facilities, um, and you know, I, I thought that that uh, Dilly and Carnes were ridiculously large for you know for baby sized people um and and these places are even bigger um you know if there's comfort it's it's that um they are going to be that 72 hour or less um and maybe we'll come back and talk to why 72 hours is still way too long um so um i think the idea of having the caseworkers there looking for more ways kinder gentler ways to enable the kids to help to have them be active participants and in finding their family or friends that are here in the states so that they can be moved quickly you know more of a, of a caseworker social worker approach as they're uh, as they're doing now um those are you know the they're 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 doing all the the right things and they're doing them um, as as quickly as they can. I think, like so many others, I'm really concerned about um, parents that are coming to the border or maybe were were turned back, um, removed or turned back from the border, and are now sending the children as unaccompanied minors um, to to try to. Uh, make it on their own. Um, You know, it's it's a tough thing. I I personally, I would would prefer to keep the family intact. Um, And uh, and if that means bringing them in uh, and and then having a parallel system that can make those those evidence-based rapid assessments, evidence-based, not playing with the algorithm and, um, and, then, and then moving them uh, as quickly as we can. I think there's a real role for, um, for not-for-profits in all of this as well. Um, and, um, and so for, for all of those, especially that are either national or regional in their size or along the border, to really um, mobilize them uh, as much as, as possible. I think uh, asking for volunteers, people who perhaps have retired um, from uh, INS or ICE, um, good folks like yourself, you know, like me, others, um, uh, to go down there and volunteer, much as, uh, as the legal field is, you know, recruiting as many attorneys as they can. Um, to assist with, you know, petitions and applications right now it would be really worthwhile.
3: One other thing I wanted to, um, to ask you to just clarify, Dora, is that earlier you mentioned the Northern Triangle countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and you said that it's dangerous for people and that there are a lot of people who might lose their lives if they remained in the country. Could you give the listeners a little bit more
2: context for what the challenges are? Um, you know, sometimes on talk TV, it's they're coming for better jobs. They want to make more money. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, um, but that's that really doesn't get to the to the heart of the matter. This is for for everyone I've met. It's not about a better life. It's about having a life. You know, preserving life. Uh, And, um, and what I saw in 2014, 15, and I see signs of now, um, the, the recruitment, recruitment activities from some of these uh, international gangs is, uh, is exceptionally persuasive. It's, you know, it's do or die. And, um, and, um, and the, the. There are, uh, these gangs uh, recruit girls as well as boys. So it's not just boys and young men that are at risk, um, but all children and and adolescents. Uh, The girls in particular um, have their own kind of risk in that uh, some of their recruitment in the gangs is is for servicing uh, the boys, if you will. Um, you know, um, they're, they're there um, to provide them with, um, with um, sexual opportunities. And so, um, you know, when you're a mom or a dad or whoever that parent or guardian is, you know, to see your, your pre-adolescent, your adolescent, um, kids and other relatives um, being recruited for any of those purposes, all of them dangerous. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the, the threat for, for non-compliance, of course, is, you know, is death or the, the, um, for um, escaping is also death. You know, the, the old axiom about blood in, blood out. Um, so that's really why, um, people are coming. Um, and many of those families, um, are coming because it's not just a threat, but one or more of their family members have already been killed or otherwise seriously injured, but, but, you know, survived their injuries perhaps with the loss of a limb or loss of a use of a limb. So that's, um, that's what we're talking about. This is this is not um, you know, an, uh, an argument that is, is a cost-benefit analysis. This is a, a life or death decision.
3: Yeah, I mean, you've described several of my clients. Just from um, your description, I could, in my own head, imagine some of the clients that I've actually worked with who fled those countries for the reasons that you mentioned. And now they have productive lives after they've gotten asylum in the United States have been very successful
2: here you know on, on the news sometimes they talk about um a, either droughts or you know terrif- horrific flooding uh tornadoes hurricanes you know all sorts of natural disasters and that's certainly part of it and indeed the whole changing of the climate is is going to see more more waves of people um, seeking to live in a place where they can actually live, work the land or, or whatever. Um, but uh, I, I believe that the real driver uh, in 1415 and today is, is that kind of personal safety, family safety that you and I have been talking about.
0: If you want to learn more about the Center for Migration Studies, Journal on Migration and Human Security please visit CMSNY.org slash JMHS CMS On Air's theme music is provided by The Music Case For more podcasts like this one you can follow CMS On Air on Spotify, Apple Podcasts SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. To find a full transcript of this episode or get more information on CMS's research, publications and events, visit us at CMSNY.org.